it. Now today, you're in for a special treat. One of my dear friends, a really close friend of mine, Pastor Daniel Gray, I invited him to come speak at the beginning of this year. And then when all of the COVID stuff hit and the challenges of 2020 hit, I wanted to make sure that we kept him on the schedule. And so we've had to move things around throughout the last uh, three or four months, give or take, almost five months now. But one thing that we made sure to remain on the schedule was the invitation for Pastor Daniel to come and to share with our Go Church family. He's no stranger here. He's preached here multiple times in the past. He's got a fantastic testimony. As a matter of fact, before he knew the Lord, he was in a terrible car accident where when they got into the hospital, he had flatlined and died, but God miraculously revived him. Come on now. And through that encounter and multiple other encounters, he experienced the, the power of God. And, and he's got a great testimony. Uh, Pastor Daniel served as one of the chaplains for the Atlanta Falcons for the last 10 years. He's been seen on TBN, CBN, ABC Family, Home Shopping Network, probably all of it. He's all over. And uh, what an honor it is to have him today. He and his beautiful wife, Heather, they've been married 14 years got two precious kids, and God's hand is on Pastor Daniel Gray. So go church family. You know the routine here. The Bible says to give honor where honor is due. So can you stand up in the room? Come on, let's give honor now. Put your hands together. Welcome my dear friend, Pastor Daniel Gray, as he comes and brings a message today. Come on. Woo! Go church. How you feeling today? Oh, come on now. I'm so excited. Y'all better be just as excited as I am. Come on. The Bible says this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and I will not get mad, not get sad. I will get glad in it. Can you say amen? Woo, just making sure you're alive and here today. It is so amazing. God has been so good in this season, even of all the craziness going on around us, to be able to still go and preach and promulgate the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've had a blast, and I'm so glad to be here with you all today at Go Church. If you got a Bible, I want you to go ahead and go with me to the book of Psalms. And as you're getting ready to go there, I just want to say that, man, you have the best pastor in the world. And I think the Bible tells us we should give honor where honor is due. And so would you make some noise for Pastor JC and Kimberly and let them know you love them, appreciate them. Come on, all that they've done, all the vision, all the hard work, prayer, blood, sweat, and tears, man. And I, I just, uh, I, I applaud you, I salute you, and I look up to you. And uh, thank you so much for having me today. Psalm 34. Ooh, it's going to be good today, y'all. Psalm 34. Somebody say, yeah, yeah. Now, I'm in Atlanta, so we're supposed to say it like, yeah, yeah. Some of y'all got it? All right, cool. Psalm 34. Can y'all believe it's August? Am I the only one? It is August, y'all. It is August, and we're in church in the presence of the Lord. Psalm 34. We're going to read so much. We're going to read one entire verse, okay, before we get started today. So Psalm 34. I'm going to read from the King James Version. I like all the versions, you know, but King Jimmy gets me, you know. I just love King James. And so let's look at it. It says, oh, I'm going to stop right there. I got to stop at the O. I got to stop at the first, not just the first word in the text, the first. All we get is a letter, and I already got revelation. And if you can learn to look at your Bible this way, even the punctuation marks in the Bible will preach to you. Because I want you to see when David says this letter, <laughs> when he says, oh, that O, oh, that first installment of the verse we're looking at today. 
Ooh, that O contains so much. You know what that O contains? That O contains revelation. That O contains worship and praise. That O, that declaration from the mouth of a man in the midst of a cave in darkness running from things. His life had never been in this position before. I know I'm giving you context of Psalm 34 before I even read past the first letter, but I need you to know that David was running from something. David was at a place in his life where what he thought was going to come to pass, everything in his world got flipped upside down. And what he thought was going to happen, it looked completely different. And he finds himself, hear me today, go church, quarantined in a cave. And he's in this place where he should have every reason in the world to begin complaining about what's happening. But he has a moment where he just says, oh, and I'm here today to help you find your, oh, the revelation that no matter what you're walking through, no matter what you're going through today, that there is a moment where you can experience a revelation of his goodness in the midst of pain. Can somebody say amen? Oh, David said it that way. You know, when I, when I first read this a long time ago, when I was a new Christian, I read it like most of us probably read it when we're reading through Psalms in our daily Bible reading plan, you know, and I got to the part right here where it says, oh, taste and see, and I probably read it like this. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Yes. But today, I wanna propose and postulate the idea that when David penned these words in the holy canon, in the scripture that we believe to be 100% truth from Genesis all the way to maps in the back, when David is writing this, I wanna suggest to you that he just took a moment and he held his pen right there and he just had a moment where he just went, oh! And everybody in the cave looked over at David like, what's going on, bro? What's happening? Why are you so, why are you exclaiming? What's, what's happening? Are, are you as stressed as we are? Are you as worried as we are? Do you see the enemies that are trying to come after us? Do you see the same situation? Why would you, what's going on? And David's like, hold on just a minute. I know you heard me have that moment. So I'm going to tell you what you need to do. Taste. Here we go. Taste and see we're only four words in are you with me oh here it is taste and then see that the lord is good blessed is the man that trusteth in him let's look at it in the amplified version just to amplify it oh <laughs> oh taste and see that the Lord, our God, is good. What is he? What is our God? He's good. What is our? He's good. And watch this. How blessed, fortunate, prosperous, and favored by God is the man who takes refuge in him. I want to talk to you today from the subject or the thought. Taste and see. Taste and and see. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you're already evidently here. We thank you that your spirit is moving, not just above us and around us, but even in us. And I pray that today we would leave this place after hearing this word, not just hearers only, oh God, but doers of this word. Have your way in this place and have your way in our hearts. This is our earnest prayer in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I, I, I don't know about you guys, but for me, there have been times in my life where I have looked at something and by mere observation of whatever it is I'm looking at, I've made judgments on if that thing is good or not. In fact, this is probably never more evident and true than when we talk about food. Now, I know for some of you in the room, you, you, you are a fan of foods that, you know, if you look at it for a while, it's not that the food looks good, but to you it may look 
look good because you've tasted it before. Um, I remember when I first got married to my wife, Heather, we would go to these Mexican restaurants, you know, by the Bible college where I was at. And this Mexican restaurant in particular, they, they, they had uh, this dish called, you know, guacamole. But it wasn't just any old guacamole. You know, it was the kind of place where they bring it out, you know, in the stone bowl. They bring out the stone bowl and then they literally crack all the ingredients and they make it fresh right there. And y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of you, you already know where you're going for lunch after this now. You already made your decision, right? So we, we, we would go to this place and, and I was so gross out by the thought of, 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 of this, but my wife would order it every time. It didn't matter that it was $15 either just because they do it right there. And every time she would order the stuff and she's like, babe, you got to try this. It's fresh. It's so good. It's awesome. And based on what, now I know some of y'all are like, what do you mean? It looks great. Let's take a closer look at the guacamole. I'm trying to prove my point here. Um, I, now, if that's still to you looks like something that you would want to put in your mouth and ingest and make a part of your life and existence, by all means. But at this season, this juncture of my journey, you must understand, several years ago, when I saw this on the table, nothing was going on in my appetite, if you know what I'm saying. However, one day, Heather convinced me. She had been praying all week, I think. She convinced me to try the guacamole, and I'm here to tell you the moment I put the chip with the dip on my tongue, my life was forever changed. And now I am the guy who every time I go to the Mexican spot, I'm at, y'all got the table side guacamole? Because if it's the stuff in the back out the tube, I ain't even got time for that. But if you got the dude that will come out and make it on the car, I'm all in, baby. Why? Because there was a time in my life here, I'm going somewhere today, there was a time in my life where I thought this was disgusting, I thought it was not. Good. Why? Based on my perception and based on my observation. And I'm here to tell you today that we are living in a day and age, especially right now in the church, where if we're not careful, we can look at what the church is doing or even look at what we think God is doing in our midst or look at what's happening right now. And we can make judgments about God. We can make judgments about our church. We can make judgments about our leaders because of what it looks like on the outside. I don't think I want any more of this. And hear me, this is why people leave churches. People leave churches because they tasted bitterness and I don't want to taste that anymore or people leave churches because they tasted authoritarian leadership that says you have to do it this way there's no other way and you can't hear their voices and people said I don't want to be led by that kind of leader anymore so people leave and they run away or sometimes people even in a great healthy church like this one experience pain and heartbreak and because they were serving God and giving their tithes and doing all that they knew how to do but hell still happened they would say to themselves I'm done I don't want God I don't want church in fact I just got to step away from it for a season because it doesn't look like anything that I really need right now. I, what I need, I can't find here. And so many times we base our decisions and our judgments that way only because we've not truly experienced it. We made our judgments based on what it looks like. Did you know you can't live your life as a Christian just based on what it looks like? Good luck. Man, this is the core of our belief, this thing called faith. I mean, you could go back to the cross and look at the cross and look what Jesus did. And you could go to the cross and you could think to yourself as a Christian in 2020, the cross was a great thing. Man, the cross was great. It made a way for us. But if you were to go back in time in a time machine and talk to those disciples and talk to Mary on the day that Jesus died, on the second day after he had still been dead and nothing had happened yet, they would have looked at you and said, this is not good. Are you out? Of your mind our savior's dead here's what it looked like when jesus went to the cross i know it looks beautiful to us at church in 2020 but when he died it looked bad 
It looked like Herod won. It looked like Pontius Pilate won. It looked like the religious leaders won. It looked like Jesus was dead. It looked like Jesus was defeated. But on the third day, he rose from the dead, just like he said. Even though it looked like he was, win he was losing the battle, baby, he went down into the t pits of hell, and he took the keys because he was winning the battle. It looked like he was dead and defeated, but really he was just sleeping for three days to come back to give us everything we needed. You can't just look at something and base your decision on observation. If we're not careful, you'll be like me in the guacamole, missing out on a glorious blessing that God has for you because you're not engaged because it doesn't look appetizing. Let's talk about this. The Bible says as Christians that we are really seated at a table with Christ. As Christians, as believers, in fact, I love that verse that says that we are seated in the presence of our enemies. I used to read that and think like, oh, it's like God wants to show our blessing and favor so that people who are our enemies will see it. And it's like, it's like God's like, ha-ha, look at what I did. And that's an immature way to look at that verse, right? I realized that when God says, I'll prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies, it's so that even the people who thought you were crazy for becoming a Christian, or even the people who are trying to attack and abuse you or call you a hypocrite those people who look at you based on what they see and decide who you are and if they should worship your God God says I'm going to prepare a table for you and I'm going to let your haters and I'm going to let all the people watch my blessing in your life not to make them jealous but to show them if you will trust what they trust if you'll seek what they seek if you'll partake in what they partake partake in you'll experience what they experience and I don't know about you but one of the greatest ways I can whet my appetite to taste God it's just to watch somebody else who's truly tasting him. That's why we can never judge somebody in worship when we're in our churches and maybe we're all calm and just experiencing God and all of a sudden someone on this side of the auditorium begins to shout, begins to dance and jump. We should never look at them and cast judgment on them and be like, oh, it didn't take all that. It didn't take all that to be a worshiper. No, but you don't realize maybe what that person has gone through, how God delivered them out of drugs and addiction and horrible things and the fact that they're praising God that way shouldn't make us go, oh, it didn't take all that. It should make us go, I want what you have. See, sometimes when I go to a new restaurant, I'm looking around on what's already on the table because I'm trying to see. I want to see what big dude is, and he's got a whole plate, and he's jamming it down. He said, like, I come here every Friday night, homie. And I'm like, I want what you got because the way you eating that food makes me hungry. That's what we have to be to other people. Do you understand? As believers in this day, we need to begin to, more than ever before, talk to people not just about our God, hear me, but about our experience with God. See, you may look at God and say he's not good right now but maybe the reason why you say he's not good in your life is it's not because God's not good it's that maybe your perspective is not good and maybe the reason why sometimes our perspective is not good is because our perspective is distant oh maybe you see God as the creator of the universe but not as the lover of your soul and we have to come to the place where we say God if you have prepared a table for me in the presence of my enemies, if you have prepared a table for me, the Bible says he prepares a way for us and he makes the crooked paths straight. All I'm doing here at the table is giving you a picture of your life. Now let's get back to the food because if you were to just, you know, base your decision today on if this fruit is good, on just what it looks like, I'm going to challenge your thinking. Now many of you, you see these grapes and you're thinking, mmm, those are yummy. And the reason why you say it looks good is because you've tasted them before. And don't let your mind get in the way of believing what I'm saying is truth today because you may think they look good, but honestly, if you've never seen grapes before, gotta turn on your imagination here, okay? 
If you had never seen these things before and you're walking through a field and you see a vine and boom, these things are growing, first thing that comes to mind is not, mm, they look lovely. First thing that comes to mind is maybe some tiny cluster of alien eggs from another planet. I don't know. Hard to wrap your mind around it, I know, because you've tasted this before. Um, let's, let's, let's talk about a strawberry for a minute. Most of us in this room, I'm sure many of us have tasted strawberries and probably many of us enjoy strawberries. But when you look at a strawberry, do you think to yourself, mm, that looks good. I wanna challenge that this actually looks good today. Let's take a closer look at the strawberry. In fact, the closer I get to the strawberry, let's take a closer look if we can, just a little bit closer than that. That's not quite close enough. The closer I get, <laughs> the more I realize, not only does this succulent, awesome fruit have, you know, craters in it with extra fruit growing inside of that, I'm not really sure, and then there's hair. One time I preached this message somewhere and somebody said, it's not hair, it's whiskers. I was like, good, I don't wanna eat anything with whiskers either. Dogs have whiskers, cats have whiskers. I don't, just give me some catfish, Lord. What are you saying, preacher? Hmm. I'm saying many of us think this looks good because we've actually tasted its goodness before. You say that it looks good, but watch me, your brain is telling you it looks good because another one of your senses has actually come into contact with it in a way that you experienced its goodness. I wanna challenge that it looks good. I wanna say, no, 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 it's that I've tasted it before. And David in our text, ladies and gentlemen, is dealing with this, dealing with this situation in his life where everybody is looking around and nothing looks good. In fact, it all looks like it's all falling apart. And David says, if you want to truly experience something's goodness, looking at it, observation is not good enough. And hear me, I have been convicted and convinced that Christians have been coming to churches for hundreds of years, looking at God and looking at Jesus and observing Jesus and watching him and listening to the sermon. And we are by mere observation taking in Jesus when Jesus never wanted us to just watch and see. He wanted us to take him in and experience him. In fact, one commentator, one theologian says that when David wrote this, if you look at the original language he said when David wrote this I know that many times we use the example of tasting and seeing by talking about eating food in fact that's how I'm talking about it and illustrating it today but one theologian and commentator said that it would in the original language that it was written be more likened to taking a glass of water and not just tasting by taking a sip but we use the word taste but in the original language it would have been more like to drink deeply to not just a sip, not just a taste, not just a test, but to drink deeply of his presence. And he is the water of life to our soul. And water, by the way, is a picture of the spirit. And all throughout the scripture, we see how water is a symbol of life. And Jesus has to become the life source that you have. But you can't just see him to get it. You got to taste him to get it. So, uh, you know, I don't know how many of you have ever read the great gospel writer, Dr. Seuss. But he wrote many volumes of the book. And in one of his uh, revelations, he talked about green eggs and ham. And in fact, there was this man, this guy named Sam I Am. And Sam I Am was doing kind of what I'm doing today and kind of what I believe God in heaven is doing for us today. He was trying to convince 
this guy that this green eggs and ham was really good. And no matter what, this guy wouldn't believe it because he said, no, it's green, okay? I like eggs, ham's all right. But green eggs and ham, nah. Doesn't look good, doesn't look appetizing. So he kept trying to convince him. And no matter what, in high times, he wouldn't take, in low times, in the brightness of day and in the darkness of night, when he was above the water and when he was beneath the water, this man would never taste the green eggs and ham until finally at the very end of the book, everything has fallen apart. Everything is disheveled. Everything is out of control and out of the norm. And all of a sudden, this man finally says, okay, fine. I will taste and you all will see that it's not going to work out for me. He literally, go read the book. He says, I will taste and you all will see. When in fact, he would see when he experienced the green eggs and ham, that it was actually better than he ever imagined. But by mere observation, he made a judgment. Hear me, ladies and gentlemen. If Christianity becomes an observatory, churches will become museums and pastors will become tour guides. Make no mistake about it. Jesus is not here today just to be looked at and talked about and studied and observed. No, Jesus is here today to be experienced and tasted. Jesus is here to give you what you don't have. He's here today to implant on the inside of your thinking thoughts that you don't have. He's here to help you be the father you couldn't be without him. He's here to help you bring your family together in times of fear doubt and confusion he's here not just to be talked about though he's here to be experienced and so today maybe you're like me and you say I need to be practical I need you to help me today I want to do that but I want to run quickly I want to run quickly to John chapter 6 I can't miss this John 6 I want to make this plain today it's about to land on, on your heart today on the runway of your spirit you're about to get this John 6 verses 53 to 56 and it reads Jesus said to them he said very truly I tell you unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood you have no life in you whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise them up at the last day for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them ladies and gentlemen Jesus says to these followers maybe hundreds of people this day who have been following him, watching him perform miracles, watching him preach his sermons, but following him because no other man spoke words like this man. And on this day, Jesus stands up with all of these people who are claiming to be disciples. They're following Jesus. Ooh, man, you're about to get this. And he says, okay, today, this is his altar call. Everybody here, if you truly want to continue to follow me and you want to have the life that I give, you have to now come and eat my flesh and drink my blood. And then Jesus makes it even more interesting when he says, by the way, my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. When you took communion today, did you realize that you were setting yourself up for this part of the sermon? <laughs> He says, whoever wants more of this, you got to come and do this. The Bible tells us that when Jesus said this, that people walked away. One by one, people just started walking away. Because those people who had been taking their families, like on a mobile home journey, following this speaker who claimed to be the Messiah, they were like, oh, it was cool, Jesus, when you were like multiplying fish sandwiches and walking on water and stuff. But man, you start talking about eating your flesh, we got to go. Deuces, I'll holla at you later. It was all good till you asked us to drink the Kool-Aid. I'm, I'm out of here. And the Bible says, as all these people who were followers of Jesus, 
Do you see what I'm saying? All these people who had been observing him from a distance. When Jesus said, if you really want to experience me, you can no longer just on the outskirts watch me. You have to come so close to me that you literally have part of my life become part of your life. Before, when you come so close to me, you experience me in such a way it's not just what you heard me say. No, that my words become your words, that my actions become your actions. He was talking about this transformation process that he wants us to go through as believers, ladies and gentlemen. He said, come and eat my flesh and drink my blood. They all started leaving, but the 12 disciples... Jesus looks over to the side and the 12 that were the closest, the 12 who were there closest to him, not just observing, but experiencing him. He said, do you guys want to leave too? He said, do you guys want to go as well? And I love Simon Peter. He chimes in and this is what he says. He says, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And the revelation that I think Simon Peter had is the revelation I think David in the cave had and is the revelation that all of us today need to have is that I'm not gonna base my relationship with you just on what I observe. And even if you're calling me to do something that on the outside I'm thinking this makes no sense, what other option do I have? I will stand here and dig my toes or my heels into the, into the dirt of this dirty situation, but I'm not leaving. I'm staying right here. Jesus found out that most of those people were only there to observe and not to truly experience his power. These 12 said, we'll do what seems foolish. Now, I know it sounds really spiritual today to read that and be like, you know, eat my flesh and drink my blood. But to them, they had never heard that verse. They had never taken Holy Communion. Jesus says, come and eat and drink, and it's real. Come on. People started leaving. They said, we don't understand. We don't get it. Can I tell you something? When you truly taste God, you will do what seems foolish to other people. <sighs> I remember years ago, my wife and I lived in Chicago, Illinois, for, for three years. And in Chicago, we lived in this little suburb called Schaumburg. And in Schaumburg, several years ago, they, they opened this brand new, you know, one of those yogurt places that, that are like popped up everywhere over the last five, ten years, right? So it was one of those cool places you go and you get your stuff, put all the toppings on, right? Well, it was having a big grand opening, and there was nothing like that in our city. So I remember we lived in this condo right up the street, so we went that day to the grand opening. Yeah, we were those people waiting in line trying to get the coupons. Come on. So anyway, when the grand opening happened, we go in there, and we're in the line, and Heather, you know, she gets her, you know, fat-free yogurt and goes over to, like, all the fruit, and I'm like, give me the chocolate, and I want the Oreos and the gummy worms and all the stuff, you know. And so we go, and we pay for it. And I remember telling the owner who was there, like, hey, man, this is amazing. We're going to be back tomorrow. It was so good. I was like, I've never had yogurt this good. I didn't even know I liked yogurt. I'll be back tomorrow. And he's like, okay, cool. Thanks. I don't know if he believed us. The next day, boom, we're back again and we're getting yogurt. I got a completely different flavor this time. And you know, my wife got the same thing because that's what she does. She gets the same thing every time. I get a new thing. And then we were done. The owner was there. I was like, sir, man, better than yesterday. We'll be back again tomorrow. He was like, what? You're kidding. I was like, try me. The next day, back again. I kid you not, I cannot make this stuff up. We went every single night for nearly two weeks. It got so bad that I started doing research to find out if they were putting crack in the yogurt. I was definitely sure something was wrong. Y'all, I would literally sometimes, I would go in the afternoon on my lunch break before I knew Heather and I were going to go again. You know, Dave Ramsey would have been so mad at us, by the way. This is not good budgeting. And so 
I was like, I would go in the middle of the day and like, you know, wear sunglasses and pull my jacket up, you know, trying to be disguised so they didn't know who I was, you know, because they're like, oh, Mr. Gray, is that you again? <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, sorry. And people thought, you're nuts. Why are you, why are you going there every night? You can go like make your own yogurt or something. Like, this is crazy. Even the owner was like, man, you guys are like our biggest fans. You didn't want to record a commercial or something. <laughs> it was crazy. And I tell you, I look back on that and I realize the reason why we were so bonkers over that yogurt is just because it's quite simple. We had never tasted something like it before. And when I got a taste and Heather got a taste, we said, we're going to keep on coming back for some more. And can I tell you today, maybe you've been on the outskirts looking in during this season and God wants you to know if you can just come close to me, draw near to me and not just hear a sermon about me, not just hear more songs about me, but you can begin to truly experience me. That's when you'll see, that's when you'll taste, that's when you'll know. So how can I do this? Let's get practical. The first way I can really truly taste God is to simply create an atmosphere. Now, y'all, if, um, if, if, if I want to, you know, be intimate with my wife, we'll leave it right there, I promise. If I want to spend time with my wife, you know, just me and her, you get the idea, kids are not in kids' church, apparently, or something like that. I know, for me, after being married to Heather for almost 14 years, that if, you know, I want to have some time with her, it would help my cause if I create an atmosphere. See, if Heather comes home from a long day of work, when I've been at home all day, it's a day off, and she comes home, and when she walks in the door, the dishes are done. The laundry is folded and put away. Uh-huh. Some of these ladies are about to start helping me. Yeah. In fact, the kids are already in their PJs. They've had their bath, and they brush their teeth. They're already watching something on TV. They're tucked in. When the show goes off, they're going to bed. By the way, dinner has already been prepared. Now, I may have ordered it and put it on plates to make it look fancy, but it's still there. And by the way, single boxed rose on the table with a note that says, follow the rose petals to an undisclosed location in this sermon. Okay. And so if I know I want to have some time with my wife I know I gotta create the atmosphere because if Heather comes home from a long day of work and you know, all the kids' toys are everywhere, dishes aren't done, laundry's not folded, nobody's even thought about who's gonna eat anything for dinner. And when Heather's trying to find me, she has to come upstairs and pull the headphones off my ear because I'm playing Xbox with my friends. I'm probably 99% not getting lucky. Because <laughs> I didn't create an atmosphere. So I'm trying to make this real practical for you before I leave today. And it's just as simple as this. You can create an atmosphere literally wherever you are. You don't even have to be right here at the altar. You can create an atmosphere in your car. You can create an atmosphere in your cubicle at your job. You can create an atmosphere in your closet, in your home. Some of y'all, you got kids, so you got to go into the bathroom, lock the door, turn the worship music on, and begin to seek the face of God. See, the reason why some of us don't think God is doing a good thing right now is because we're not in the right environment. We're not creating the right atmosphere. But if sometimes I'll just turn off the hip-hop music that I like to listen to and put on some worship music and let Jesus culture or Hillsong or somebody sing to me, all of a sudden now I've got a little bit of an atmosphere. If I could open up my Bible in the morning instead of just turning on Fox News or CNN or however you get down, instead of doing all that, maybe I could open up the scripture and say, Lord, speak to me today. Give me revelation today. I am setting an atmosphere. There are times in my life where something that I should be worried about is happening and people will say how in the world are you not worried and I can say because I've tasted something before I worried before and worrying got me nowhere but when I trust in the Lord I can still function in my calling in my gift even though everything's not perfect because I don't base my worship on what it looks like I base my worship on what I've tasted and I've experienced his goodness
So one of the ways I can taste God, of course, is to create an atmosphere. But one of the ways I can taste God more than just creating an atmosphere is I can simply ask for it. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. And as the band comes, I want to talk about that for a moment. Have you, have you asked him in this time for the thing you've been complaining that you don't have? That was a convicting question to ask myself. Lord, I know I've been bringing this to you. I know I've been bringing my issues to you. Lord, I know I've been bringing my drop, but, 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 but Lord, I need your life right now. I need your strength right now. I need everything you have because I feel like I'm lacking everything I need. And ask him. I want to also point out the fact that we can do exactly what David was doing in this cave. I know I alluded to this, but in order to close this sermon, I need you to really fully grasp that when David was writing this and he's having this moment, and out of nowhere as he's writing this song, you know, he's probably got a musician on one side, a musician on the other side. They're playing some tones and some music and some melodies, and as he's going through this, he's a worshiper. He's writing these words, and then out of nowhere, he just stops what he's writing, and he just goes, oh, I can see him throwing his hands in the air in surrender. I can see in him, I can see him just to begin to have a moment. And then the next thing he says is taste and see that he's good. Everybody in the cave must have thought David had lost his mind. In fact, they, they were almost right because if you know the setting of the story, David was in a place in a cave called Adullam. He had just been, between, he had just been before Abimelech. And David, when he was before this king, you have to go and do a little bit of background on this. You'll find this helps, this helps to see the power of this verse. Just this one verse we're looking at today. When David was before this king and he was running, he was running because they really wanted to capture him, possibly harm him. And so when he came before this king, he literally, the Bible shows this, you can go look at it in Samuel. He acted insane before this king. The Bible says he started drooling and scratching on the walls and stuff, you know just so that they would say, nah, that's not the David, that's not the David we've heard about, not the one that can slay the thousands and stuff. That, didn't, that's, that can't be David, and David was able to slip away, and now David is a fugitive, and everything has fallen apart around him. I did a little background, did a little research, and I found at this point when he's writing, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, I found out that David had been through so much at the, to, up until this point. Do you know what happened? His position, he had lost his position as commander of the army. Not only that, he had lost his wife. He lost his pastor in Samuel. He had even at this point lost his best friend in Jonathan. That's the setting. That's the setting. Depression, darkness, confusion. He's lost everything. But while he's here in the cave at the lowest point of his life, I believe at this point, he's like, oh, taste and see. And I want you to read some other verses he wrote in Psalm 34. This is the power of experiencing him again today. Watch this. He writes this in verse 4, Psalm 34. This is before he wrote verse 8, and he said, taste and see. He said, I sought the Lord. There it is. And he answered me. 
See, he's, he's remembering past experiences from when he was in battle, from when he needed a miracle, from when it was, the, it was the absolute end of the story, end of the line. David could have been killed, could have been murdered. There were so many times where David shouldn't even be a leader at all in this army. He's at a place where he's realizing, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Go just three verses forward to verse seven. Look at this. That he said, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. And watch this. He delivers them. There's that word again. Now go all the way to verse 19 in Psalm 34. This is the same guy writing the same thing. He's in a cave. He says, a righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. I need you to understand that David was experiencing God in a cave that day because he was able to look back over his shoulder and draw from past experiences from how good had already been up until that point. I don't know how many of you in here today could, like me, look back over your shoulder and say, Lord, I know what I'm dealing with right now. Looks so hard, looks so confusing, but God, you delivered me when I was sick. You delivered me when I was depressed. You delivered me when I was confused and I didn't know. You, when I felt like no one understood me, you loved me. When I felt unlovable, you picked me up and you changed me. When nobody wanted anything to do with me, you chose me. Oh, you called me. And so sometimes while I'm going through something that looks like it's impossible to continue to stand, I'll say, having done all to stand before, I'll keep on standing. Why? Because the same God, like David, David would say, who delivered me out of the paw of the lion and the paw out of the bear. He will deliver me out of the hand of every giant that I face. I don't know who I'm preaching to today, but maybe you can associate. Maybe you can have a little bit of understanding of what it's like to be in a dark place. Maybe right now you're in a dark place. Maybe on the outside, it looks like things are fine. Maybe on the outside, it looks like you're handling it and you got it all together through this season. But you know, you know that his light is shining brightest in the midst of what you're going through. And today I just wanna pray with some people who say, I wanna taste this God. Because Jesus is not here to be observed today. Jesus is here to be experienced today. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Today, maybe you've been looking at what's going on and making your decision Maybe you've been looking at the way things are going in your life and it's been dictating how you worship, how you lead your family. Today, I'm suggesting that we do just what David did. Yes, even in the midst of something so hard and so confusing, uh, I could say I taste and you can taste and see that he's good because I'm not just looking at him right now. Oh, I'm experiencing him. So, Lord, today we set the atmosphere and we ask for it. God, I'm asking for husbands right now that you would give them the strength and the hope and the fervor and the passion and the zeal that they need to continue to lead, the, lead these families into this season and beyond, God business owners right now. I pray for single moms in the room. I pray for, for children and teenagers who are going through something they never saw coming and on the outside it looks bad. But God, we know, oh God, that you turn graveyards into places of celebration that what is dead now brings new life. Oh God, you turn stumbling blocks into stepping stones. You take what the enemy meant for harm and you turn it around and use it for good. And today, because we can look back over our shoulder and see that you've been faithful before, we know, oh God, we know that you will be faithful again. So the heads bowed and eyes closed if you're in here today and you say, Pastor Daniel, preacher, 
brother, I need to get saved. I need to give my life to Jesus. I've been reminded, maybe you're watching live or you're watching on, on, online and maybe in the chat, you just need to let us know, I need to give my life to Jesus today. You could say that. You could say, I'm getting saved. I need him. I need to experience him, not just observe him. I'm making a decision right now. And if you're sitting in your seat, you can do that. The Bible says if you just believe that Jesus died and you confess that he was risen from the dead to give you everlasting eternal life, then if you believe and you confess, then you are saved today. You can have eternal life in heaven, but also life abundantly here on earth. And for all of us in this room, for a moment, let's just have a posture of, Lord, I want to taste. Yeah, this week I want to experience you. Lord, this week I'm going to make steps towards you. I'm going to get along with my family and open the Bible. I'm going to get alone in my, in my room and I'm going to turn on worship music and I'm just going to seek you and Lord I'm going to listen to what you're saying because I've been trying to figure out what to say for far too long Lord I don't have the words I need you right here right now I want to taste and then I will see that you are good in Jesus name amen amen come on if you got something from the Lord can you give him a hand clap today hallelujah